Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoy the message. What is up, family? If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Lashad James. Uh, I am the husband to that beautiful woman over there. Her name is Doriana James. Uh, Come on, let's show some honor to that beautiful woman over there. Come on. Um, uh, I am dad to a two and a half year old, Justice James, and that is my son, Champion. He's 11 months old. His birthday is next month. Um, I'm a part of a house church that meets at George and Kirby House Place, and uh, I get to lead our discussion here today. So before we get started, though, I kind of need to start with uh, a confession. Like, I know the series is called Rooted in Renegade, but... When I think about the church, and this is the confession, when I think about the church, there are sometimes I come to this place and I don't view it as special. Like sometimes, not, not just in this gathering, but even gatherings I've been a part of in the past, it, something about it doesn't seem as special as maybe I would hope it is. There are sometimes that I don't experience family as advertised. Like people say, I am your brother in Christ and, and I'm part of your family and then they don't text me back or like, or I'm your friend. If you're laughing, you can't be the people not texting back, right? Or I don't um, No, I'm joking. No, but I've done that. People have texted me. Austin's reached out to me, and I've like, I left him hanging. Like, we were supposed to meet up for coffee um, a Thursday morning, and I just completely overslept, and uh, that was kind of a bad thing for me to do. But um, yeah, I don't experience family sometimes. Like, I don't feel close to everyone here in the room. It kind of feels like this is a glorified kind of movie theater, right? Like, you know, we're all here experiencing songs and a sermon together, but it doesn't really feel like the family I wanted to. Or there are some times where I come to this building and I'm upset because I don't feel like we're engaging with the mission of God in the way that I think we should. Like, we're not loving our city and serving our city. Like, maybe I, Steve texts me and says, hey, let's go downtown and, and help serve, you know, the homeless ministry. And then he just crickets, like just no one wants to respond. Or if someone says, I want to spread the gospel, I want to have a prayer night. And you might feel like we're not really engaging with the community maybe like we should. And if I'm honest, it's maybe because my expectations are in one place, but then like the reality is somewhere else. And the only thing I could think about to maybe explain this as an illustration, um, or yeah, um, actually, let's go to the next slide. And what I've realized, and I, I, I wanted to make sure to put this up here so we could see it, I kind of vacillate between kind of having a rotten, kind of stagnant view of the church or of God, or I'm like this rebellious scoffer over here. I think I know more than other leaders. And I kind of vacillate between these two. Like either I'm super comfortable in my Christianity and I'm just kind of good with just coming to church as usual without seeing the manifest presence of God in my life. I'm kind of used to just running through the motions. And so I kind of become stagnant and rotten in my view of, of the church and my view of other people. Or I just start to become this rebellious scoffer. I've become very puffed up in what I think I know about God. And so the question, the question I want to ask myself is how can my my expect, expectations kind of match up with reality. Go ahead and go to the next slide. And so, again, the church is supposed to be something that's special. We're creating something in this room that's supposed to be special, right? But in reality, this is how I experience it sometimes. What's the next slide look like? <laughs> Have y'all seen that movie Nailed It? That show Nailed It on Netflix? Yeah, this, um, let's do two more. Go ahead. 
We're supposed to create something that's a family environment, right? This is my expectation kind of in my head is we're creating something that's a family environment. But this is what I, I see. Or the next one. We're creating something that's supposed to be a missional agency. Like we're, if, if there's anyone in the world you can depend on to help save the world, it would be the church, right? Like we're supposed to be the ones out there feeding the, the hungry. We're supposed to be the ones out there clothing the naked and visiting people in prison. Like we're supposed to be real life superheroes. Heroes just means you have strength for two. We're supposed to have strength for other people. Uh, but instead, again, this is, this is kind of how, this is kind of how I feel. And by show of hands, has anyone ever felt similar to this? Like, you don't have to share all these feelings, but have you ever felt a little similar to this, if you're being honest? Okay. A little bit? And it's maybe, maybe it's because my expectations weren't correct, or maybe I just couldn't see all of what God is doing in the church, but this is how I felt. And I'm not saying it's right, but I am saying this is how I was feeling. And the big question that I needed to be answered is, how do I protect my view of the church from being unhealthy? How do I protect my view of the church from becoming unhealthy. I don't want to be stagnant, but at the same time, I don't want to just be so adventurous or rebellious that I just throw out the church and say, I'm going to do my own thing and, and try to run off by myself. And so as I was thinking about the answer to this question, anytime I'm considering a big question, there's, there's three things I always look for. I look for an answer from God's spirit, and this is like an audible voice or an inward conviction, dreams, visions, or personal revelation. Um, I consult with God's word, and I consult with, with God's people. That's my current community, my house church, my DNA group. Maybe it's a timely sermon or a prophetic word. And so could you go ahead and slow that, show that next slide for me, please? Yeah. Um, I put this up here because there's so many times I'm working with people and they're trying to discern the will of God for their life. And this is normally where I point people. Find God's people, be immersed in God's word, and then actually pray and, and receive what God has for you. And so I just wanted to show that because that's how I approached this sermon. So I met with Austin. Um, I met with some other men and women in the church. And this is where I feel like the Lord landed us today. I believe that the church is a family centered around God and a special covenantal relationship with God. And we're uniquely designed by God to bless the world. We're a family centered around God in a special covenantal relationship with God, and we're uniquely designed to bless the world. Martine, I'm going to ask you to come up, and I want you to read, and if you could, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. It's not going to be on the screen, so we do actually have to read it together. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 32. Hello, everyone. Um, if you're able to stand... Uh, out of reverence for the word of God, please join. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, 
but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the true shall become flesh, one flesh. This mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The reading of God's word. Now, there's a lot that I could focus on when it comes to us being Christ's bride. You can take a seat. There's a lot that I could focus on about our, our special covenantal relationship with God. But in my time of prayer, there was just really one word that really stood out to me, and it said, this relationship is special, right? To be called Christ's bride is a really hard thing for me to articulate academically. Uh, so the best illustration I have of this is my bride. So, Doriana, can you come up here for a second? Um, Thank you for honoring my bride. So this is my bride, okay? This is going to seem really simple, but I promise you you're going to get something out of this. This is my bride. I love her a lot. All of you are very special to me in your own unique ways. She is more special to me than any of you in the room. She is my plan A. I don't have a backup wife waiting in case this doesn't work out. She is very sacred to me. I revere her in many ways. She's very sacred to me. I'm very proud of her. She is not perfect, but man, she's the best wife in this room, and I'm sorry I had to say that out loud. <laughs> she's the best, I, and I honestly believe that. You, I know everyone thinks their wife is the best, like, but I really objectively think my wife is the best. I'm very proud of her. Um, I honor her. I invest in her. I sacrifice for her. This is my plan A. In many ways, she is a part of me. In all the most poetic ways you can think of that, she is a part of me. When you guys clapped for her and you honored her, that made me happy. I love when you honor my bride. I really love this woman. I really love this woman. Like, I don't even know... Like, words don't do it justice. Academically, I cannot explain to you how deeply I love my bride. So for Christ to say that that is how he feels about his church, I would hope that we share that same sentiment. When we gather together here, we are not just another 501c3 social club that's meeting inside of a gym. We are special. We are special. And so, I love you, baby. I'm going to have you stand up here all day. Yeah, you're good. Um... And, and I know that there are other organizations that we're a part of that maybe we're a little bit more proud of. Like, some of you in here love the Cowboys. Applause cue. Some of you in here love, boo, okay, some boos, okay. Some of you in here love the Aggies. Yeah. We're, some, I see some thumbs down, some thumbs up. Or maybe there's another sports organization out there that you're proud of, whether it's Leeds United. I have no idea what that is. I'm just, I know it's an Austin thing. But can you say that you are proud of the church? Not just the rim, but the church. Like, does the applause cue go off in your head when someone starts mentioning the bride of Christ? I get, I get it that in our day, we've, we've had leaders in different forms of the church that have abused their power, and they, they've hurt people, and I, I totally understand that. I totally understand that. But I cannot let the world's view of the church influence my view of Christ's bride. 
Jesus is very proud of his bride. It's very special to him. And I want us to have that same reverential awe. We have, we have that same awe when we look at certain fraternities or federal organizations or just insert authority figure here that you like respect, that you wouldn't just like walk in the front door and do whatever you want to. And the church is the same way. And this, Austin, if I'm honest, like when I, I love our vibe here because we're kind of non-traditional, but if I'm honest, this place makes me really relaxed, like almost a little too relaxed in the presence of God. Like I don't really, I don't have a healthy cultivated fear and awe of what the Lord is doing inside of this room sometimes. And so I, I wanted to show that, yes, the church is, is a family sent around God in a special covenantal relationship. And I wanted to highlight that part that this is something that's special to God. And again, if you follow Jesus, you, there's no such thing as, as, as following Jesus and doing away with his bride. Like, and I, I know I've come up in a day and age where people are like, you know what, I love Jesus, I just don't really care for the church too much. Or, I love Jesus, I don't really like church people. Or I love Jesus, but insert thing that abandons the bride of Christ here or talks negatively about, can I tell you something? If I catch you talking negatively about my wife, we're going to have to talk. We're going to have to see each other. Does that mean my wife is perfect? Absolutely not. But there is a way in which I want my wife to be corrected that is respectful and honoring. And in the same way, when it comes to the bride of Christ, there is a way that we can hold leaders accountable and we can hold the church as a whole accountable, but it needs to be done with a reverential respect for what the Lord is doing in the earth through the church. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. Um, Again, we can't just say we're following Jesus and and abandon the church. We can't say, because if we, again, Jesus loves his church, so it's going to lead us back here to strive and love and work with his people. The second thing, that it's a family centered around God. So the church is a family centered around God in a special, special covenantal relationship uniquely designed to bless the world. So Martine, I'm going to invite you back up, and we're going to read Acts chapter 2. And we're just going to reread verses 42 through 47. If you could, please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. This one's a little short. Oh, yeah. Um, Once again, if you're able to stand, please join us. Acts chapter 2. Verse 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Here ends the reading of God's word. We are family centered around God. This is really tough. Before we go to that slide, we'll, we'll back up one more. We're a family centered around God. You see that the, in verse 42, that this family is fellowshipping together. They're breaking bread. Verse 44, they had everything in common. Verse 45 says they were giving to anyone who had need. Verse 46 says they continued to meet together every day and they broke bread inside of their homes. And here you see that they're, they're operating as a family. 
Um, there's a couple of verses called the one another passages. There's about 59 of them. Uh, these are the verses that say, love one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another more than yourselves. Um, basically, anytime you kind of see that phrase one another, um, they kind of counted them up and they're like, yeah, there's like 59 of these. Um, one thing that's really cool about this is I can't do or obey any of these scriptures without you. Without being in community or being a part of this family, I can't be fully obedient to what the scripture has asked me to do. How can I spur you along to good works if I never hang out with you or never see you? How can I admonish you if, if I don't even know what's going on inside of your life? And so uh, there's a part of being a part of this family that I, I have to do this in order to be obedient to scripture, number one. The second thing I wanted to, to mention here is that when I say we're a family, this kind of has this already but not yet feeling to it. Like, we're already a family because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, that's kind of set and done. But there's this, like, not yet vibe to it because, again, not all of us are fully uh, bought into that idea. And let me say it this way. There's some of us who come from jacked up families in our past. So when you come to church and you're like, hey, welcome to the family. You're my brother. And all of that just like flies like straight over your head because your actual brother is, might not be that great. Your actual sister might not be that great. Your actual dad might not have been the best. So you might not come from a family where you fully understand how to do these one another's. Like encouraging one another was not part of your family origin story. You know, loving one another wasn't part of your family dynamic. So yes, the scripture says to do it, but trying to work it out on a day-to-day -day basis isn't normal. Does that make sense? And so when we come into this room and we all look at each other and say, hey, brother in Christ, sister in Christ, brother in Christ, sister in Christ, and then you don't feel it, I think a lot of that just comes from the fact that we're still being redeemed. We're still being sanctified. God is still teaching us how to live into this. Here's an example from my life. And man, Austin, I call you out a lot, and I, I'm sorry, but you're a big part of my life. Um, one day, Austin invited me out to a meeting, and uh, it was going to be for an hour, and he sat across from me, and he does this Austin thing where he crosses his legs right at the knees. It's a very reformed preacher thing to do. And he just looks at me, and he says, so hey, how you doing? I'm like, good, great, doing great. He's like, great, tell me about what's going on in your life. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, general check-in stuff, right? So I'm, you know, I get done with the check-in, and I'm like, so what's next? And he was like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, why'd you invite me here? Because I wanted to see you. For what? Like, what are we doing? Like, is there something that the church, no, nothing's going on. I just wanted to know how you were doing today. And I could not wrap my head around the fact that another man or person in general just wanted to sit with me, that there was no objective, but just to be with this other person. Like, I know that a little bit, like with, between me and my wife or maybe like me and my children sometimes, but if I'm being honest with you, I'm a very mission-oriented kind of person. Like, I bond with you as we're doing something. Does that make sense to some of you? Like, as we are accomplishing things, I feel closer to you. Like, the, the more the dishes are done, <laughs> oh, my God, I love you so much. Like, you know, oh, bills are paid. Wow, I just love you. Like, I'm just so, acts of service is, like, number one on that little love language thing. So just, like, if, honestly, I'm the type of person, if you tell me you love me, but then you haven't really done anything to kind of show it, like, I don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't really register to me. Um, some people, they like to hear words of affirmation. I'm like, no, just do something with me and then we'll bond together. Um, and I realized that it had eked over into my relationship with God, that I thought that God loved me and bonded with me more the more I just do stuff with him. And it didn't really dawn on me that you could disciple someone or just by sitting with them and being present with them in the moment and not having to accomplish something just to be with somebody. 
And I've been in church leadership for a little bit of time now, and I started to think back of how many times did I neglect just calling someone to check on them? How many times have I neglected just sitting with somebody just to check in with them as a person? Not a Bible study, not an agenda, not something I'm trying to get them to do, but just sitting with them to love them and encourage them and just have compassion on them or live in peace with them. I just totally missed that part of being a family because I come from a family that didn't do that. And so what I'm trying to say here with my life example is if you're not experiencing family maybe in the way that you would have hoped, it might be because there are still parts of our heart that are being redeemed by God because we come from families that aren't maybe a great example of what it's like to just encourage or be with or love one another. Does that make sense? Did all y'all come from perfect families or am I tripping? Y'all? Okay. Um, The church is a family centered on God and a special covenantal relationship that's uniquely designed to bless the world. And that's an already but not yet kind of family where we're being formed into that. Uh, you saw in the verses, the Lord added 3,000 people to their number. I'm pretty sure they didn't all just get along immediately. Like, yes, there are good things happening, but there's still a forming process that comes with all those people being brought into the kingdom. One more verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18, please. If you could turn to it, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. I said one more. That was a lie. I'm sorry. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. I'm going to invite Martine back up to, and while we turn there. We are a family that's centered around God. A family that's centered around God. Ephesians chapter 2, 18 through 22. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the same foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place or tabernacle for God by the Spirit. Here ends the reading of God's word. When I first read these verses where it says, you two are being built together into a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit, I always thought that was kind of like an individual thing. And I know it's true that the spirit lives within people who put their faith in Christ, but there is a unique experience of God that you can only have when you're with other people. You've heard it said, like, when two or three are gathered, I am in the midst, and people are like, oh, man, I love that verse. It just means all I need is me and my wife, and I don't need to go to church, because when there are two or three, I don't need to go to Bible study. Um, I shouldn't make jokes like that. Uh, that. That is true. But, but I think what's beautiful about that is where there are two or three, God says there's a unique manifest presence of mine. Like, yes, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times, but there are unique times where his presence is concentrated or manifest and made known, whether that's through healings or whether that's through visions. And if God is saying that in this place, as we are being built together, his spirit dwells in his people, that means that right now in this room, you have access to something that's unique that you don't have access to while you're by yourself. 
Again, it does not mean that God doesn't meet you in your living room or God doesn't meet you uh, at home. I've had many experiences with God that I, I felt his spirit very near to me while I was alone. But I don't think it's God's design that that be the place that I only meet with him. That God designed us to come together in this place and experience something, whether it's in our house churches, Bible studies, or community groups. That is a very unique place that God has given you to access him. And so a lot of times I struggle when it, talk, when, when it comes to talking about church attendance because I know there's been a lot of legalism in the past. Um, but I, I, the reason why I've made it kind of a, a standard in our house that we will go to church on Sunday, it's not because I need to check the box. It's just because I know the Lord does something in this house, in this space, in this uh, environment that does not happen outside of this environment. Bible study is important for me because God told me a long time ago, sorry, Doriana, I'm going to mention this. God told me a long time ago that there are arguments that I've been having with my wife that had we attended a community group Bible study or house church, he would have worked those things out. There would have been, the spirit would have, have come and, and given revelation to her or even me that happens while we're just sitting in this room. Could you imagine all the things that you're trying to work out in the flesh and argue about one-on-one -on -one when you could just continue to meet around God's people and God's word and have God do the work for you? That's why I normally, a church is, is, is something that I don't want to give up. Um, the Bible would say, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Um, and, and again, I don't want to see that just as a rule, but this is a gift. This is a gift. This is a gift. There's something unique that happens here that doesn't happen other places. And again, God is omnipresent. He can always meet you where you're at, but there's a tangible, manifest, concentrated presence of God that is available to us whenever we do meet together. The church is a family centered around God and a special covenantal relationship uniquely designed to bless the world. Uniquely designed to bless the world. Uh, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. And as we go into this very last section, uniquely designed to bless the world, we're going to read Matthew chapter 22, and I'm going to invite Martine up. And we'll read both verses. So we'll, we'll read verses, uh, chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, and then we'll just read Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Okay, Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40. <clears throat> Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Okay. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, 
I'm with you always to the end of the age. Here ends the reading of God's word. So the church, lastly, the church is a missional agency uniquely designed by God to bless the world. Again, there's a lot of great organizations that are out there that are doing a lot of great things for the world, the church being one of them, and I would argue the church being one of the the better. Um, But there's a lot of other organizations that are out there. But the church is uniquely designed to bless the world. God has given us his spirit, and he's uniquely commissioned us to bless the world. And so when you read in those verses where it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, or you hear Jesus saying, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I've always struggled with, like, what does it mean to engage with like the world, like how, what, what should the church be doing? Like, is it soup kitchens or is it Bible tracks? Or is it like, you know, preaching downtown, telling people to repent of their sins? Um, or is it just loving people so well that maybe, maybe, maybe one day in like two years, they'll ask me why I'm so nice. And then I'd be like, Jesus, you know, that was a joke. I'm sorry. Um, not to say that's not a strategy, but not, not one I'd, I'd, I'd live by anymore. And the tension was always there of like, which one is it? How do we engage with the lost world or or people who are not yet followers of Jesus? Um, And the encouragement that I wanted to share with you is that it's both. Like, yes, we do multiply goodness into the world by donating our time, our talent, and our treasure to efforts that make this world more beautiful. Um, Not all those efforts are going to have Jesus' name tattooed on the back of it, but they are still good things that multiply goodness into the world. Like if I meet someone on the side of the road and I help them change their tire, I don't have to wait before I screw in the last lug nut to be like, Jesus loves you and do you agree? Or can I give you like this gospel presentation right before I help you? Um, At the same time, I don't wanna hide the fact that I love Jesus and I think he's a a great leader. I don't wanna hide the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus and that I believe that it's the better way to live. And so sometimes I do give gospel presentations or I share my faith with other people um, and it can be separate from me having served or done something with them. A lot of times they do overlap, uh, but I don't want you to be stuck between the tension of the two because I used to be stuck between the tension of like, which one are we supposed to be doing? Is it just soup kitchens or is it just Bible tracks? And I think it's um, a healthy mixture of, of different versions of that. And then I just wanted to say that there's no plan B on, on how the Lord wants to save the world. Every Christian in here, you, you are an evangelist, you are a teacher, you good news the people around you, you teach the people around you what's the better way to live. And you all know this, right? Like when your friends ask you for advice, they come to you and say, hey, what would you do in this situation? That is your opportunity as a teacher to stand on what you believe to be wisdom from God and just share with them like, hey, here's what I think you should do. There are many times I tell people, I, I run a mathnasium business, I have employees and they come to me and they ask me for advice. There's many times I come to them and I tell them, I don't think you should lie about that. I don't say I don't think you should lie about that because God doesn't want you to lie about that and Jesus is going to frown if you do that. Like maybe I have those gospel conversations, but at the very least, I can disciple them by saying, I don't think lying is the best way to go about this. I don't think cheating is the best way to go about this. And in many ways, that is discipling and helping teach them uh, how Jesus would have them to live. And so, again, the church is three things. Number one, at, at the very least, it's a family centered around God in a special covenantal relationship uniquely designed to bless the world. There is no plan B. We're not just another 501c3, and we're not just an organization that's trying to get people into heaven, but we are uniquely designed by God to bring heaven down to the earth. We are uniquely designed by God to bring heaven down into earth. There is no other social club or organization that exists on the planet that is designed to do that. It's us. It's us. The last thing I wanted to share is that Have you ever had people tell you, like, I don't really like organized religion? Raise your hand if you've heard that phrase before. I don't really like organized religion. Yeah. 
um, I was kind of praying, and I was like, God, you know, when I talk about the church, the first thing people think about when they hear church is organized religion, and they go, boo. Um, and God kind of reminded me of, starting back in Genesis, that when the world was created, it starts with these chaos waters that you see there, that, that there's like the watery depths. I just came back from a cruise, and it's really scary to stand on the side of a ship in the middle of the night because all you hear is like waves crashing, but you see nothing. It's formless, it's dark, it's, with, it's, it's just chaos waters, right? And God takes these chaos waters and he creates land. And then he takes that land and he makes a place called Eden. And then in Eden, he puts a garden. And in the garden, he puts this tree of life. And circled around this tree of life, all of humanity, all of human life, Adam and Eve, all of human life, kind of are centered around this little area here. And this whole family, or Adam and Eve, whatever you think of them as, this whole family is centered around the presence of God. The Bible says they would walk with God in the cool of the day. And I felt like the Lord was telling me, when you look at this photo, God is organizing the cosmos around him as the giver of life, the creator of life, and it's centered around him. This is, in many ways, organized religion, not in the negative sense with all the baggage, but God is organizing the cosmos with him at the center of it and him with other people, and then he blesses them and tells them, be fruitful and multiply. And so they're given a mission. They're, they're blessed. When you think about the children of Israel, let's go to the next slide. Uh, this is kind of a depiction of what it might have looked like for the children of Israel to be wandering through the desert. And if you're familiar with the Bible story, the Bible said that this cloud would, would guide them by day and a pillar of fire by night, and they would kind of camp out around it. And when I see this picture, I see a family centered around God that are on some sort of mission to bless the world. He's, they, that These people were called to, told that they would be a blessing and that through them the nation's would be blessed. And so the church is at very least, the church is at very least a family centered around Jesus and a covenantal relationship because of what Jesus has done for us. We are in a covenantal relationship with God and we are uniquely equipped to fulfill Jesus's mission. My hope today is that you would see the church as special as God does. This is not another social club. This is not a simply just another meeting of a couple of people who happen to agree on a few slightly important concepts. That when we meet together, we are the bride of Christ. This is not just, again, another fraternity or sorority where you are like family. Here, when you're here, you're family. Like, it's not just, an, I know we throw that word around a lot. Um, have you ever been at work and they're like, hey, you're part of our family. Welcome to our family. And you're like, this is not a family. I'm here for a check. Um, okay, this ain't that, right? This ain't that. This is not just a group of people who are just here like, oh, we're family just because we have to say that to each other because it's like a weird fraternity sorority kind of thing. That we are truly a family. And I know that's not perfect. I get it. But when all of us lean in, it can work. It can work. And again, I know we've been hurt. I know. I've experienced it. Many of you who have been in church for any length of time, you've experienced it. But this is God's plan A. He is building this family together. He's adding to this family as he sees fit. He's redeeming this family as he sees fit. So our job is to continue to lean in, continue to text people, continue to love them, continue to reach out. And for the shepherds that are in this room, and I know that 80% of the shepherding and the pastoring that's done in most organizations are carried by just 20% of the people. 
like just all the leadership that's kind of here, whether you're leading on, on the level of house church, Bible study, community group or whatever, I know that 80% of the burden of shepherding kind of falls on 20% of you in this room. And I don't think that's right. I don't think it should be that way. And I think God is going to redeem it so that it's not that way. But please don't burn out. Please don't give up on the bride. Please don't give up on, on serving and giving and helping shepherd us because we need you. We need you to sit with us and show us what it's like to be patient and be present. We need you to be patient with us and show us what it's like to respond. We need you to continue to show us what it's like to love God because maybe we didn't get that from our past. Maybe we haven't been discipled in that. Maybe dad didn't teach us or our family wasn't a great family. So for all of the shepherds in this room, please hear my voice. Do not give up on this family. We need you desperately. We need you desperately. And we are unique. Lastly, we're uniquely equipped to fulfill Jesus's mission. Don't give up on this mission. Don't give up on this church or the church as a way of bringing God's goodness and bringing heaven down to earth. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.